This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. Here on Rally Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Don't forget, send me a text, 2057. Email me at inbox at radio. We had such great feedback from uh, interviewing my uh, former colleague. That sounds wrong, doesn't it? My great former colleague, uh, Dr. Muriel Newman, uh, who is a wonderful researcher with the New Zealand, I'm going to get it wrong, I always get it around the wrong way, the New Zealand, she'll correct me, New Zealand Centre for Political Research, she'll correct me, um, but she does all this we research so that we don't have to, and you can find out what government's up to by subscribing to her newsletter each week. But we left it hanging uh, last time we spoke, and I wanted to explore more deeply a report that I only hear the name of, and it sends a shiver down my spine, here, poor, poor. So joining me now is Dr. Muriel Newman. Good morning, Muriel. Good morning, Rodney. It's lovely to be back again. Now, tell me your webpage. It's at www.nzcpr.com. New Zealand so, so you... Political Research, nzcpr.com. Great, I got it now. And I always get the, I never know whether it's the political, oh, I don't know, New Zealand Centre for Political <laughs> Research. You do a great job. Everyone that's listening should hop right across. I've just bookmarked it, and that's why I never know where it is, and it just pops up. It's a great web page, and you sign up to Muriel's newsletter, and you'll be kept appraised of the craziness. And, of course, it's going to be particularly interesting because Muriel Newman's going to be casting her eye, her practised eye, over the new government that will form come this November. So we'll get lots of insight to Muriel. But what we're particularly interested in now is this here, poor, poor, um, which I've Googled and means the break. And what it means is not the break as in B-R-A-K-E, but B-R-E-A-K, the waves breaking on the shore. And the idea is, is that New Zealand's been uh, sailing along in a particular direction, and this report is a break with the way we've been governing things, and we're going to start doing things all differently. Now, Muriel, to start with, give us the background of this report. Right. Well, it arose out of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Now, you might remember that that was a, a UN um, agreement that Helen Clark, when she was Prime Minister, refused to sign because she said um, New Zealand already had uh, various treaties in place to uh, support Maori rights. And she thought that the the UN's uh, agreement would actually cross over that, so she refused to sign it. And then, of course, in 2010, I think it was um, John Key, um, his government, they did uh, sign up to it. Um, I think you were you were were you still oh, there? When oh, I was. Oh, I can tell you this little bit of the story because. Um, I think the politest way um, of putting it was that I was a little cross. And it's quite hard to be um, a junior minister and get really cross with the boss, Prime Minister John Key, especially so 
when you're a support partner and the leader of a, a party that supports the government. And precisely what happened is I knew, of course, that Helen Clark had refused to sign this UN Declaration on uh, Indigenous Rights. And just picture this. She's a UN sort of fangirl. She, everything the UN does is just whoop-de-doo for her. And, you know, she went on to do extremely well working there, got very high positions, even went to be the Secretary General. So she was really into the UN. She looked at this UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples and said, no way. There's no way New Zealand's going to sign up to this. So Peter Sharples, and I can picture John Key doing this because John Key would never have read that declaration. Peter Sharples went off literally in the dead of night with no one knowing. No one was told. There was no press release. There was no announcement. There was no decision. Peter Sharples went off and we only heard that New Zealand had signed up to the UN Declaration of Indigenous Rights after it was signed. And so here's me, a support partner to the John Key government, with a no surprises clause, completely blindsided. And I was so angry that um, John Key's a very affable sort of guy, he doesn't get angry. Um, and unfortunately, I got so angry and let little puffed off a bit of steam in his prime minister's office. And he said, well, look, this doesn't mean anything. It's just some UN treaty. Like, he just waved his hands and says, you know, Parliament's still sovereign. And I was trying to explain to him that from now until eternity, this Declaration of Indigenous Rights will be used as a club to beat us around the head forever and ever, amen, including the government. He had no conception of that. And, of course, Peter Sharples pulled off a coup. Didn't trouble John Key. He didn't do anything about it. Uh, but New Zealand had signed up to it, and that became the impetuous then for what happened next, which is what you're telling us about, because now Jacinda Ardern is in government, Nanaya Mahuta is a minister, and then what happened? Well, so what happened was that in 2019, their government decided that they would put in place a plan of action for bringing the UN declaration into effect. And so there was a cabinet meeting in March of 2019 and Nanaya Mahuta, who was the Minister of uh, Maori Development, uh, she was tasked with putting together a working group and then the working group was to write a report for how the declaration could be put into effect. And so on the 1st of November 2019, Hipurpur arrived and um, what was very interesting about it was uh, the people writing it were academics. Uh, some of them were family members of Nanaya Mahuta. Uh, they were everybody who was completely on side with um, the quite radical ideas of the Maori caucus. And the report, as I said, was, released, uh, was received in 2019 and it was never broadcast to anybody. It was never made public. 
to even the Deputy Prime Minister. It wasn't brought up during the 2020 general election. And then uh, three days before the election, Tipuni Kokiri, which is the Ministry of, of Māori Development, published or, or received it. So they were given it just before the election and they posted it on their website uh, just before Christmas. And then uh, we started to notice various things were happening. Um, you might remember back to then, Rodney, that... Um, you know, the Māori language was starting to be used by um, Radio New Zealand and Television New Zealand and various um, government departments started using Māori language in their letters to people and their names all started being called the Māori version instead of the English name of the department. And so all these weird things were going on and we couldn't figure out what was happening. And then suddenly we discovered um, the website where this uh, Hipurpur report had been a redacted or a, a shortened version, 32 pages uh, or 34 pages of a 123-page document had been um, posted on the website. And we suddenly realised it was actually a, a, a blueprint to bring in tribal rule replace democracy with tribal rule by 2040, which is the 200th anniversary of the Treaty of Waitangi. And that's pause, what was being pause, enacted without just, us knowing. Just pause there for a minute, Muriel, because um, all of this is so significant to me because even by the standards of this most appalling government in our history, this is entirely a new low because the UN Declaration of Indigenous Rights has something like 46 or 40 odd articles which we're committed to thanks John Key but chiefly what it is suggesting is that Indigenous peoples have the right to self-determination and what it means is their own government, their para, a parallel government. Um, and so the idea is Aboriginal people can run things their way for themselves. That's what new John Key signed up to. Now, this report, to give effect to this, setting up the report went to the Cabinet, and we know that Mr Peters was there, but Cabinets are busy. He never noticed particularly what was going on, particularly Mr. Peters. He'd be, he doesn't notice. He's not a busy man in Cabinet, put it that way. He'd be doing his thing and not worrying about what anyone else was up to. So it just sailed through with a tick. The report was received in the year before the election. This is extraordinary. And it was set on. No I think it was enacted. I think various bits of it were starting to be quietly rolled out. But yes. There was certainly no yes. Um, indication no, of it that was going on. It was, this, you know. it was happening in government departments and in government policy, but there was no trumpets blaring saying that we're having this big here, poor, poor break, and now things are going to be different. We just started noticing that everything was different. The Deputy Prime Minister tells us 
that he was completely oblivious and kept in the dark about this report and the fact that it was being surreptitiously um, implemented. There was absolutely no discussion of this report in election year. So here's the Labour Party and Jacinda Ardern campaigning Absolutely no mention that they'd had this report uh, prepared. We were implementing it by stealth. And then here, the total deviousness. I mean, this is, the whole report itself is a constitutional outrage because it's such a constitutional uh, overturning of every element of our Westminster system. But then, in an election year, heading into the election period, like three months out, you don't announce new policy because there's going to be potentially a change of government. So you just do what's called sort of housekeeping. Um, um, yeah, I forget the phrase that you use, but it's the idea that you're just sort of managing government. You're not implementing new stuff. Blow me down. The civil servants put this report up on their webpage three days out from the election. No one would have noticed. So that, I think I think they received it. They received it three days before the election. Okay. And then uh, we, we're not sure when it went up. I've used the Wayback Machine just to double-check, and the first indication is it was just before Christmas. It was the 22nd of December okay. that it went up on the website. My own recollection when I was looking into this at the time was that it was just before the election. But as I say, um, anyway, the, the big point is the government department received it before the election. Nobody told the public. No one told the public that it was going to be implemented after the election if Labour won again. And so we were kept completely in the dark. And as you say, it's a constitutional change document. And normally when there's major constitutional change, which, which this is, normally the public have to be involved and the public have to give their mandate for it. They have to give approval either through an election or by a referendum. And because this is mucking with democracy, this is changing our democracy, it's diminishing our rights as New Zealanders, and it all happened without our knowledge, without our approval, they just bulldozed it through. It was astonishing, Rodney. <laughs> yes, and they couldn't let Winston Peters know, even though he's in the Cabinet and Deputy Prime Minister, because he would have smacked them around the head all the way to the election, right? So They, they would kept, have lost the election. They would have lost the election. Yeah. Oh, my it's goodness. It's so significant. If he'd have gotten hold of it and understood what it was, which he would have because it's, you know, pretty clear once you once you read it, and he if he'd have had the time, if it was done you know, in enough time before election day to be able to raise the alarm of what was being planned secretly, I don't think they would have won the election, even though everything was going in their favour. I And they knew it. I'm absolutely certain they knew that would be the result, which is why, of course, they just kept it silent. 
kept it quiet and undercover. And, of course, the opposition parties, uh, National and ACT, didn't know anything of it either. Um, so it didn't wasn't an election issue. They Labor get re-elected this time with a majority and proceed to implement this. And it's very clear now in hindsight that three waters and a two a two-tiered racist health system where you have a Maori health system and a non-Maori health system. They are absolutely in line with Hia Pōpua. So what they've been doing now is they've been going through the Hia Pōpua report and ticking off um, various of the, you know, the objectives. And yes, the three waters, um, one of the objectives in Hia Pōpua is to give uh, pass tribe pass control of water to tribes, and so that's what he put, that's what Three Waters was all about. It was confiscating water assets and services from councils. It was uh, essentially national centralising them into uh, four and now ten um, larger units, so that uh, Maori could be given half the control of the. Um, uh, boards and then uh, full control of the what happens on the ground to water in each community um, because they're the only ones who get to um, be able to tell the people running the show exactly what they want to happen to that well or that spring or or those pipes or whatever. It's a, a dreadful situation that people don't actually realise has been written into the legislation, this um, power that's been given to local Māori um, to hold communities to ransom, really. Indeed. I'm just um, reading um, here, Pōpōr, Executive Summary. And, I mean, listen to this. I'm not telling you anything, but for our listeners, here's, here's a proposal. Here's a proposal. Um, Maori will have a meaningful and sometimes dominant voice in resource management decisions. So you apply to put a shed on your property, um, develop your property, um, anything. Everything has to be done through the Resource Management Act. Well, the local iwi are going to have a meaningful and dom and sometimes dominant voice in the decision. Not the council that you at least get to vote for or against. Isn't that extraordinary? You know, well, one of the things that, that I've struggled with is that this is all about self-interest, right? It's all about the self-interest of these tribal groups. They run multi-billion dollar business development corporations and somehow they've managed to persuade a government that they need to have half the power and control of New Zealand and over the lives of New Zealanders and yet they're working for self-interest. Mm. I just, 
I cannot get my head around the logic where a government would freely give democratic power to a group working, a big business group, right, which normally the left <laughs> does not like, and no. yet here they are passing all this stuff to, to, the, to the biggest corporations in the country virtually. Because it's interesting, isn't it? Because when they're talking about Maori doing this and Maori doing that, it is actually these creatures of statute. It's these iwi corporations which lack transparency and accountability that will be making the decisions. It won't be, you know, your Maori neighbour um, doing this. It's not Maori doing this. It's going to be the iwi elite in these unaccountable, non-transparent corporations. Here's another little bullet point in the executive summary. Law, policy, and processes will support flourishing iwi territories. So there's going to be, New Zealand is going to be divided up into iwi territories, which are going to flourish tribally including where Iwi Hapu Whānau can positively contribute towards the control of, access to, and management of all lands and resources within their row, in accordance with Takanga and Matarangi Māori. Oh my goodness. So this is a return to tribalism for all of New Zealand. And we shouldn't forget that John Key and National signed us up to this because the United Nations Declaration of, for Indigenous People says Maori self-determination. And these iwi race baiters have got a hold of that grafted on this fanciful notion that the treaty was a partnership and that it should be 50-50 and said, well, all these resources are really ours, so we should be having an equal partnership and probably a dominant say when it comes to natural resources. And here's our plan for achieving that by 2040. And, Muriel, it's underway now. It is. It's underway. They can tick off the um, troll of water to Māori. They can tick off um, controlling the health system because now under the new health reforms you've got a situation where if two people are waiting for an operation and one is really, really sick, the other one isn't, but the other one is Māori and not sick, uh, they'll be given priority treatment. It's just a shocking, shocking state of affairs. So health now is determined by race, not by clinical need. And, you know, it's going to roll out across all levels of government. One of the instigators of all of this was the Office of Maori Crown Relations. They're the body that have been uh, charged, if you like, with uh, strengthening the treaty partnership, they say, it's a, a lovely, polite uh, way of saying where they're going to ram through uh, Maori control, Maori co-governance 
of all government departments and then eventually of New Zealand. And if you look at the website of virtually any government department now, in there you'll see the weasel words, the um, treaty partnership, they abide by the treaty partnership. Um, they, a lot of them now have brought in co-governance bodies or boards or advisory groups. And um, in some areas, like in corrections and police, you know, they've actually instigated um, new ways of doing things uh, which are to the detriment of, of New Zealand. I mean, we've seen, you know, the prison population reduced by uh, 20%, people who are uh, violent enough to, to be normally locked up in prison are now out on parole, um, or not out on parole, they're under, um, you know, um, supervision. They're in the community instead of um, being behind bars. And, um, you know, this is only going to get worse. They want to abolish it's, prisons. That's one of the plans in Hipurpur. Yes, and indeed the Maori Party have come out and said that they want prisons to go by 2040. And, of course, um, this is exactly what Hipurpur is saying um, because they are Maori are going to have self-determination. That is to say, the tribes will determine uh, how things are done, not the New Zealand government. They've got a very nice picture here explaining all these things about how the uh, joint spheres work. And if you like, uh, they've got a 2019 picture, and there's a big circle, and it's yellow, and that's the crown. And then there's a wee, wee tiny circle, and that's sort of the Maori uh, governance, and there's a slight overlap, and uh, it's a pinprick on the side of uh, government. Then beside that is what will happen in 2040, and the two spheres are the same size. So the iwi governance is now exactly the same size as the New Zealand government. And then there's this overlap of 50-50, and then there's these two other bits, which is a little bit that will be New Zealand government only, and then a similar bit that will be iwi government only. So it's for two systems existing side by side, where for big chunks, the iwi governments in their territories will be the governing body. For some things, the normal government will be the governing body, I guess for non-Maori people. And then for half of it, there'll be this overlap where the iwi and the New Zealand government will be sharing decision-making with Maori having, as they say, the dominant voice. And New Zealand will be set up according to iwi boundaries. That's um, right. And um, the interesting thing, too, from what I can glean is that, you know, because it's this 50-50, uh, treaty partnership, which of course is a complete and utter fabrication, but anyway, they've made it up in the 
government is going along with it. Um, theoretically, what that means is that half the money will go towards the Maori government and the other half will go to the Crown government. And so, you know, half the money will go to a small percentage of the population with the other half going to, you know, the vast majority. <laughs> mm. And mm. That, So that's the, their end objective as well. Well, Te Pete Māori Party are following Hia Pua Pua and their justice policy, and they say that it's going to be 50-50, so they're going to have a Māori justice authority, and it will take 50% of the money now allocated to the police and 50% of the money now allocated to corrections, and they will administer that for Māori justice according to Māori protocols. And the remaining 50% will be for the rest of us. I don't know. It's how... just outrageous, isn't it? It's, I don't know. The whole thing is so outrageous. <laughs> well, it's quite hard to follow because you're looking at this and you're thinking, I get attacked by a Maori fellow. Do I go off to the Maori Justice Authority or can I take him to the normal courts? Well, the normal courts have lost half their funding. I mean, yeah. the prisons have lost half their funding. Um, if you're married, do you go to prison? I mean, none of this gets asked or explained, and we sound nutty for talking like this, but we're actually just reading the report that is being implemented and trying to understand it and ask questions about it. The government seems to have neither supported it or repudiated. They just don't talk about it. The media have never reported, um, what would you say, in executive format what this report's on about, and yet it's barreling down uh, the runway. I guess, Muriel, the new, the legacy media in New Zealand are contractually bound not to critique this. That's right. Um, one of the conditions of um, funding from the $55 million public interest journalism fund that uh, Labour introduced was that the recipients had to promote the treaty partnership. So instead of the mainstream media as you say, scrutinising all of this and holding power to account and saying, well, hang on a minute, you know, you, you're doing all of this in the name of this 50-50 treaty partnership which doesn't exist, therefore what the hell is going on? Um, they've just turned a blind eye. And um, uh, there were an odd article, right? Very, very few and it's really been up to the alternative media, the independent media, if you like, to have raised concern about these things and raised awareness. And, I mean, that's the only reason that people actually know about Hipuapua. It's because of the really fantastic work that a lot of very concerned people have put into making sure that the public find out what's going on. And you have people like myself who are normally, until recently, fully engaged with following what government's doing. But I don't follow it any longer because 
I'm sure I don't know, get an ulcer or something. Like it just is so upsetting to even read the stuff. This reads like um a fifth form project of if you got a bunch of students who'd been in inculcated with the treaty being partnership and how would and you said to them, oh well, how would you make this partnership work um in reality? This is the sort of a report you'd expect some naive indoctrinated um school children to come up with. But this is a report done for government and implementing government and it's upending everything that we believe in in a Westminster democracy and has returned New Zealand to some hybrid where part of it is being run like it's pre-1840 with these corporations in charge. Is, if I, I mean, that's what it is. That's with, right, but without with, the public actually understanding what on earth is going on. That's and, the, the, sort and, of the key thing. And then if you don't understand what the hell is happening, it's very difficult to know who to blame, what to blame, or what the answer is, you know. And so they've managed to basically pull the wool over everyone's eyes. I mean, people are waking up to it now. And fortunately, of course, in election year, a lot of people who haven't taken much notice of politics, they sort of tune in. And so the awareness is growing. And that, to be honest, is probably one of the reasons why Labour is continuing to slide in the polls. Because Indeed. people suddenly realise what a terrible thing they've done to the country. So let's go through this with the parties. We won't worry about the Maori Party because they'll be here poor, poor on speed. Do we know what the Labour Party's position on here, poor, poor is? They haven't really said anything. Um, <laughs> Willie that, Jackson. Isn't that Willie funny? Jackson, I know. He, he was tasked last year with coming up with um, an action plan. In other words, take he poor, poor and uh, pull out a number of objectives put it into a, a document and then ask the New Zealand public whether we agreed with it or not. So it was meant to be. So he consulted Iwi to come up with this document that then he would use to consult with all New Zealanders. And uh, from what I've heard, um, what happened was that the document or the, um, the report that he received from Iwi was so radical that he couldn't just carry on with his with his idea. He had to send it back and ask them to tone it down, but they didn't want to do that, and so the whole thing just stalled. So as far as we're aware, um, if they become the government again, it'll be full steam ahead for all of this stuff. But we've only just got a taste of it now, and as I said, it's now the framework's been set up in all government departments, They've now been reaching out into any organisation that is associated with the government. This is the Office of Māori Crown Relations. And um, so if you're a, an, a, a private sector group but you've got um, to be registered, for example, real estate agents, 
They're now expecting them to do cultural competency programs and and learn all about their version of the treaty, the treaty partnership, and that's compulsory. <laughs> the Lawyers um, Law Society is looking at uh, regulating or bringing the treaty into a new new legislation to regulate lawyers. I mean, it's architects everywhere, and charities, it's the same. If you're a, a charity, you have to be registered with the government, and if you look at charity websites now, you see a lot of them already uh, talking about the treaty partnership, and many of them have got co-governance boards. It's everywhere. And this presumably is why there's been this big uptick in uh, Maori things in the curriculum. So um, it's not science now. It's sort of Maori spirituality. It's Maori language. It's everywhere you look in the curriculum. It's Maori. Right. It's terrible. And so what they've been, what's happening is that because of all these new agreements that are going on everywhere, it's given um, activists and, and people with, um, you know, very passionate views on all this carte blanche to go ahead and sort of ram it through everywhere. And... Uh, you know, and, and then if anyone stands up to it and says, well, hang on a minute, what are you doing? Well, you're just a racist. And so careers have been destroyed, um, livelihoods have been destroyed because people actually had the guts to stand up to some of this. And um, But essentially they wipe, wipe the way clean and they just bulldoze down there. So what is National's position on here, poor, poor? National, um, Christopher Luxon has come out and he said that National is opposed to co-governance of public services. So if he's true to his word, what that would mean is that all that work that the Office of Maori Crown Relations has been doing by putting all the stuff into all these government departments by rights, that should all go. It should be removed. The Maori Crown Relations Office should be closed down and all of the, uh, the remnants out in the private sector, that should all go as well. The uh, Maori Health Authority uh, would go. Three Waters would go. Um, the RMA reforms would go because they uh, go a long way towards the Hipuapua goals. And I'm sure there's other legislation that's been brought in that I'm not necessarily aware of that's got a lot of this stuff in it. Theoretically, that should all go. What Luxon has said is that um, National will still be in favour of the co-management of uh, some natural resources to do with treaty settlements like um, mountains or rivers or national parks and so on. Um, but as far as uh, co-governance and the public service or, you know, services to New Zealanders is concerned, it would go. That's as far as I understand it. It hasn't, um, I haven't seen any documents saying that, but I've heard him um, being interviewed. And that right. He seems and pretty, pretty strong on it. And our old party that we started in, Muriel, what's X position? Well, 
Exposition is is a bit complicated. Um, oh dear. They want. Yeah. yeah. Um, David Seymour wants to uh, draft up a treaty principles piece of legislation and um, and pass it through Parliament and then get um, the public to agree to it or not agree to it. And his treaty principles are things like um, uh, the treaty is all about equality. So it's putting in place good, sound policy in terms of a democracy and the freedom of people and the removal of anything to do with race. It's about equality. But the mechanism he wants to introduce is a piece of legislation uh, that goes through Parliament. And my response to that after watching Parliament, you know, when we were in there and then all these years since, is that the moment you put stuff into legislation, you then run the risk of future governments coming in and tweaking it Mm. so that it means the exact opposite of what you intended Mm. and also of the courts um, tweaking it so it means the exact opposite. And I'll give you a specific example. Um, When the uh, national government... Uh, repealed crown ownership of the foreshore and seabed. They threw out the law that Helen Clark had put in and they replaced it with the Marine and Coastal Area Act. And in that act, there was a test. If anybody wanted to claim a piece of coast, coastline, number one, they had to hold it according to tikanga. And number two, they had to have held the area exclusively and continuously since 1840. So in other words, a tribe had had to have held it exclusively, which means essentially that they had to make sure no one else used that particular area. They had to have uh, been in charge of it since 1840. So in other words, it was ancestral land. Nobody else went there, and therefore um, there might be a case where they gained customary title to the coast, which gave them a number of specific rights, which are akin to ownership, really. So when National passed that law, they assured New Zealand that the number of uh, successful claims for customary title would be minimal. In other words, most of the coast would not be claimed by anybody. It would still uh, belong to all Kiwis and just a minor part of the coast and remote areas would would go to tribal groups. But because they put the word tikanga in there, what happened is that the first claim, 600 claims flooded in, by the way, because um, uh, Maori thought, well, we can gain ownership of the coast. They're all overlapping. So immediately, you know, me watching the legislation, I said, aha, they're all going to be ruled out because they're overlapping and the, the, um, the test is you have to have exclusively owned the coast. You couldn't have owned it exclusively if your neighbour claimed it as well and said, we've used it, you see. Anyway, what happened is that the first case uh, went to the High Court and the judge ruled that the only test that mattered 
was whether or not the group had held it according to tikanga and that the exclusive and continuous ownership since 1840, that didn't count. And so it was only if you held it according to tikanga. And in their wisdom, the High Court didn't even hear the evidence about whether they had held it according to tikanga. The tikanga bit is done by tikanga experts that the claimants all have to agree to, and they then uh, talk to the claimant groups who are all, all competing for the same bit of coast, and they decide which of those groups had held it according to tikanga. They tell the High Court, and the High Court just accepts it. And so it ended up with a piece of um, 40k coastline near Apotiki. It ended up with about 14, I think it is, different groups all owning different parts of it. Um, and so, yes, they, they all gained access to it or, or were awarded title to it. And the test of exclusivity and, um, you know, continuous ownership never even came up. So that's what um, has happened because they've put tikanga into the law. It's changed everything. So we've actually appealed that case to the Court of Appeal and the uh, Court of Appeal is going to release their judgment um, apparently this month. And our argument is, hang on a minute, there were two tests in the law. Uh, the judge in the High Court only looked at one test. He should have looked at both. And um, so if we win the case, then uh, the judge will have to uh, do the second test. But I tell you what, it's a dog's breakfast. It's a complete and utter dog's breakfast. And um, I have no confidence at all that the whole coast won't end up in, in um, tribal ownership. And that's the territorial sea as well. And so um, I think it needs a law change, Rodney. I think that uh, someone needs to come in, repeal the Marine and Coastal Area Act and take us back to Crown ownership of the foreshore and seabed. That was that attorney, Chris Finlayson, wasn't it? Um, yes. Oh, my goodness. So it's typical, isn't it, that Labor come along. This was all too too much for Helen Clark. And National came along and did it and made it worse, thinking, telling us that they were fixing it. They did the same with the resource management. Oh, my goodness. It is. This is why you can't have any confidence in Chris Luxon. Um, this is very, very tough stuff, Muriel. Very, very tough stuff. And like we know that this present government has fanned expectations for Māori and that any move to reverse he pua will be seen as anti-Māori and an attack on Māori and the iwi corporations will be whooping up these hotheads and there will be protests galore should national try and move on it and of course um it it could readily make uh, new zealand without stretching it ungovernable i think there's a couple of things one is that we have to remember that iwi represent only a small proportion of maoridom mm -hmm. so i heard um even Willie Jackson, to be honest, before he was a minister, uh, talking about how 
you know, the tribal groups really probably only represented about 10% of Māoridom. And so, you know, they might jump up and down and they'll certainly rack up the troops. But I think there'd be a whole lot of um, Māori who hate what's going on as well and would like to see an end to this tribal power grab because that's what it is. Well, maybe... maybe the... Yeah... Yeah, maybe National, when they get in, should uh, contract the lamestream legacy media, give them $100 million and say that as part of this contract, you will criticise <laughs> here, poor, poor. You will criticise the concept that there's partnership, otherwise you don't get the dosh. Um, I mean, that's the ridiculousness of it. Dr Newman... Uh, we're on Really Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. I've been talking to Dr. Muriel Newman. Um, alarming stuff about here, Pua Pua, and it's what's at stake this election and whether we can get a government to reverse this and just return to the simple idea that we had with the treaty in 1840, which is one people, uh, one crown, and one law for all, with everyone treated equally, irrespective of their tribal affiliations which now everyone has to ostentatiously state their tribal affiliations as that is their most important thing in their life and on their CV is who they fuck a papa to. Um, I've never heard of anything so ridiculous living in a free society that who your great-great-grandfather is should matter. I mean, it's going right back to the idea of royalty or um, tribal chieftainships being handed down from father to son and everyone else being cut out of the loop because they've been touched by God or something. Um, whereas we all want to be citizens, treated equally before the law, not having a special folk amongst us. Uh, Dr. Newman, everyone should go to Dr. Newman's page, which is the New Zealand Centre for Political Research, ncpr.com. It's a wonderful site. There's lots of articles there, but more particularly, you can sign up to Muriel's newsletter. Heading into the election, it's going to be hot. Uh, coming out of the election, it's going to be hot because Muriel's going to be casting a very sceptical and a very practised eye over what government is up to. Um, she, Whatever she writes, it's always a treat. Uh, Muriel, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I wish you all the best. Let's hope uh, that we can reverse uh, what's happened these past few years and get New Zealand back on track um, just as Nationals promising uh, and let's hope that you have good strength and wind in yourselves because if anyone's going to keep them on track it's going to be you Muriel. Thank you Rodney it's been a real pleasure. You're on Rally Tech Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, send us a text, 2057. Email me at inbox at That was the incomparable and the wonderful Dr. Muriel Newman. Are we blessed to have her on our side? We are indeed. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m.